Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette, discuss it, and judge it to decide whether it should be set free <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Movie Oubliette, the trans-hemispherical podcast for forgotten fantastical films with me, Conrad, all the way up in Cambridge, UK. And me, Dan, in the hipster capital of the world, Melbourne, Australia. We'll be focusing on fantastic films, as I mentioned, so sci-fi, horror and fantasy for the most part, just because those are the only films that get us excited. Dan, how are you? I am very well today, staying on top of things, and it's warming up here, so that's always a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's getting steadily colder here, so I'm in my element, which is great. Ah, <laughs> uh, great. So, Conrad, what's in the mailbag today? Um, well, we had a lovely email from Lena. She wrote just to say how much she's enjoying listening to you and Dan talking about films such a delight, even though I haven't watched any of the films you're talking about, <laughs> apart from Willow. I wonder if that's true of many of the people listening, that they don't actually watch the film. Well, I know it's true for a lot of my, my friends, because I, I know they don't, they don't watch a huge amount of uh, horror. Um, but mm. yeah, it's, it's still good to know that it's, it's entertaining, despite not watching the movies. <laughs> yeah. She also asked if we would ever consider talking about The Princess Bride, which is her favourite movie. Hmm. But I, I, I'm i not sure whether we could class that as being in the oubliette. I think it's probably very successful and very well known. Yes, unfortunately it is a bit too well known. Not quite in our wheelhouse. Yeah. She also suggested The Ghost and Mrs Muir from 1947. Ah, well, that's a movie I think we could do. Um, it's actually one I, I included in my thesis when I was studying audio. So ah. I would, it'd be great to talk about that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be prepared. I would be. That's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> any any other messages or um, emails from people? So we had a tweet from Serge of Cold Crash Pictures, our friend from a previous episode. Hey, hey Serge. Hey, Serge. He was saying that he saw both of the haunting films back in the early 2000s and had a clear preference for the remake, but only because that was the one that was in colour. Uh, oh, how times have changed. Ah, despicable. <laughs> how dare he? <laughs> but this is the thing. He did point out that at the time, his favourite shows were basically the family Saturday morning lineups. So oh, no. <laughs> makes me feel a little bit old. But there we go. Me too. <laughs> I mean, the other exciting thing that I should mention is that we got a mention on the UK's leading film review podcast and radio show. We were on Radio 4, if you can believe it or not. What? <laughs> yeah. So Kermode and Mayo's film review show, which is on uh, Radio 4, I, I tweet at them occasionally. And um, Mark Kermode, who is the critic, was sitting down in the cinema to watch The Nun a week ago. 
and was bracing himself because he wasn't particularly looking forward to it, I don't think. And he has a thing that he he talks about. He hates modern horror movies that are just quite, quite bang. You know, mm. it's just... They're not creepy or suspenseful. It's just long periods of silence followed by a, a really loud stinger that makes you jump because it's not very sophisticated horror. And he's always talking about quite, quite bang. So when he said he was going to watch The Nun, I tweeted back at him, quite, quite, nun. <laughs> <laughs> Which was pretty much my experience of the trailer, actually, that it's just sort of quite, quite, quiet. here's a nasty nun. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. they memed it on the show and, and tweeted about it. And um, in this week's episode, uh, Mark actually gave credit where credit is due and said Yee. that the quite, quite nun came from us. So uh, he's a scholar and a gentleman. Uh, <laughs> I would say it came from you specifically, Conrad. <laughs> but uh, always good to get a mention. It is, yeah. So, Dan, what have you got for us to review this week? Ah, well, I'm going to go fetch it from the oubliette. Mm. Okay, I've got a canine helper today. Oh. My good, trusty sheepdog, Gary. Oh, hello, Gary. Hang on, I just need to open the oubliette for you, though. Okay, Gary, go get him. Wow, look at him go. Oh, it smells like a farmer here. Mm. All right. Ah, thanks, Gary. You can go off and chase some ducks or something. <laughs> okay, so the movie we'll be taking a look at today is a movie from 2006 from my home country, New Zealand. It is Black Sheep. Ah, so this is the 2006 horror comedy film... And not the one with Chris Farley in it. <laughs> no, this is, just to be clear, listeners, this is not the 1996 kooky comedy <laughs> starring Chris <laughs> Farley and David Spade. Uh, <laughs> so this movie is written and directed by Jonathan King, and it stars a plethora of New Zealand actors, uh, including Nathan Meister, Peter Feeney, Oliver Driver, Tandy Wright... Tammy Davis and Danielle Mason. And yeah. I was actually surprised to find out that only three of those actors were in Shortland Street, which is the only soap opera from New Zealand that has been going on since <laughs> I don't even know that everyone watches and is terrible. Uh, there's kind of a running joke in New Zealand that every actor starts off on Shortland Street. Okay. Um, as it is also the running joke in Australia that every actor starts off on Home and Away or Neighbours. So Yes. Okay, so what's the general premise of Black Sheep? So the film opens up on the characters Henry and Angus Oldfield as young kids working with their dad on their family farm. Angus then pulls a prank on Henry involving a sheep's carcass that terrifies Henry and coupled with the sudden news of the father's untimely death, Henry develops a phobia of sheep. Cut to 15 years later, Henry returns to the family farm to settle some family uh, business with his brother but also to deal with his fear of sheep 
Meanwhile, two environmentalists, Grant and a girl called Experience, are investigating a research lab on the Oldfields farm and escape with an experimented-on sheep fetus in a jar. During the getaway, the fetus container is dropped and smashes, releasing the still-alive fetus. Proceeds to bite Grant's ear off. (laughs) Then the fetus manages to bite another sheep and thus starting an outbreak of zombie sheep (laughs) or as the film coins, wear sheep. (laughs) So we follow the unlikely group of an environmentalist, an ovinophobic city boy, a farmhand (laughs) and a lovely old lady, custodian of the farm, Mrs. Mac, as they try to rectify the situation of herds of zombie, flesh-eating, rampaging, woolly sheep. (laughs) And there we have it. Okay. (laughs) That sounds great. Let's let's take a break and get into it. (laughs) Yes. We'll be right back. So we're back to discuss Black Sheep. Thoughts, Conrad? So I had never seen Black Sheep before mm. and I wasn't quite sure what to make of it from the cover and from the, <laughs> um, from the description because I thought, is this meant to be taken semi-seriously? Is it supposed to be, you know, a, a genuine proposition an outbreak of zombie sheep but pretty much as soon as the environmentalist grant is attacked by what is obviously a puppet (laughs) mutant sheep fetus Mm. on his ear and starts stumbling around the forest with it i i was pretty much at home with okay i get what the tone of this movie is this is um sort of a it's very much in the tradition of Peter Jackson's early splatter works, so things like Bad, Bad Taste and uh, Brain Dead, which is known in the US as Dead Alive. Mm-hmm. It's so, and and I in the making of, I noticed that they were all talking about this as being a very New Zealand story, and I was wondering if you can just enlighten me and our audience as to exactly why <laughs> there is a peculiar. A New Zealand thing about ridiculous splatter fests because it it I'm I'm not quite sure where this comes from. I mean, I th- I feel like New Zealand does it does a lot of horror, but it never does it seriously. It always it's always black comedy horror. Mm. I think it's a, a mindset of New Zealanders as well because New Zealanders really don't think of New Zealand as being that that great. <laughs> I mean, apart from <laughs> the scenery, which they go on and on and on about. But in terms of the people, we're always a little bit modest and we're, we're always a little bit reserved. And and I think they've taken that saying that, you know, New Zealanders and Australian, they, we all just have sex with sheep. And they've kind of taken that ridiculousness and, and turned that into a movie about killer sheep and... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's it's yeah, New Zealanders just kind of taking the piss at themselves and making a ridiculous movie. Yeah, well, it's definitely that. I mean, I saw one review where the comment was that there are elements of it that could be offensive, 
if it were in any way plausible. But because the film is not attempting to be plausible at all, you just roll with it. You yeah. just let the ridiculousness of it just roll on by. But I mean, I I feel at the same time they do they put enough effort into a production value and semi decent acting and and set design, so it does portray across as uh, it is a horror film mm. i mean it's ridiculous but it is still a, a decently made horror film because you know you look at like trauma films mm. and that's just too far they've taken it too far and to most people it's just terrible mm. but they at least they tried to make a decent film yeah knowing the premise was ridiculous yes but i mean it certainly pushes the boundaries and does things that you would not see in a hollywood movie <laughs> <laughs> i think it's fair to say yeah um i mean some of the stuff involving uh henry's brother Angus and his particular relationship with the sheep. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not something that that you would see explored elsewhere. No, in no, a, in a major studio movie. It, I mean, it must have been quite fun for established organisations like Weta, because Weta, of course, collaborated on the effects, even though the budget, I would imagine, was. Uh, very small mm. but it really looked like them going back to their roots because Richard Taylor from Weta um, has been with Peter Jackson since Brain Dead, I think and this must have been quite fun for them to go back to doing something that's just as ridiculously silly as this I mean you see elements of this kind of blood and guts and monsters in Lord of the Rings but they've never been able to be this outlandish and silly with it. Yeah, yeah, I think it was definitely a throwback to where the, where they started with the early Peter Jackson films. But uh, it's also worth mentioning that Weta also do other non-Peter Jackson movies as well. Yeah. So they have done the effects for Sa- uh, Lord of the Rings, obviously. But they, I think they did a lot of the weapon design for Hellboy. Mm. Uh, they did a lot of the CGI robotic stuff for um, District 9 and um, Elysium. Mm. So they know what they're doing. And they, they kind of took the whole B-grade 80s splatterfest genre and just ran with it. And they knew they weren't making something that looked realistic. You know, you've got the <laughs> the sheep feeders puppet, which you know is just an animatronic puppet that the guy is just pretending to struggle with. <laughs> but it's hilarious. And because it's such a throwback to 80s horror, um, I yeah, I think it was really well executed in terms of creating effects that were gross and horrific, but at the same time, obviously fake and hilarious <laughs> yeah. so yeah if we have a look at the the whole plot of the the film you've got the two brothers one of whom has stayed with the farm and has this vision of modernizing the farm with genetic engineering which of course goes <laughs> horribly wrong mm. um resulting in these evil sheep i mean they're not actually zombies i've seen them referred to as zombie sheep but i don't think they're actually zombies they're just ravenous genetic mutations of some kind yeah i mean i think in the credits they're titled as were sheep so the whole just yeah. a, a play on the whole <laughs> werewolf mythology i guess but uh, yeah so you've got the sheep and once they're infected they just become rabid flesh-eating animals but once they bite a human <laughs> that human turns into this 
sheep human werewolf hybrid yeah. that it's huge so yeah there's uh i guess its own thing yeah if there's a story it's sort of henry coming to terms with this childhood trauma where his brother i mean it should be said his brother's a bit of a dick isn't he oh. he he murders Henry's favourite pet sheep that he has tied up in their yard and then turns its carcass into some hideous costume to scare him with when he goes into a barn. Mm. And is it the mother or is it Mrs Mack that turns up? It's Mrs Mack, isn't it? I think it's Mrs Mack, yes. Yeah, so Mrs Mack turns up and says something like, oh, Angus, pull your head in or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I think... That's something of an underreaction to finding somebody having murdered an animal and be running around in its carcass scaring yeah. people. <laughs> but I mean, I guess that it's the whole idea of, of farmers. They're used to slaughtering animals all the time. So having <laughs> having a sheep's carcass uh, worn as a, as a costume maybe isn't such a stretch. <laughs> it's just average roughhousing <laughs> on the farm. And then suddenly shifts gears to let them know that their fathers died having plunged off a cliff. As a result, Henry gets this phobia of sheep and leaves the island, maybe? I'm not sure. It's not made entirely clear whether he leaves... He leaves the farm, for sure. Yeah, and they... He goes, he moves to the city. Moves to the city, right. Okay, so then he comes back to sort of sell his share in the farm so his brother can get on with his plans. And his brother's arranging this big event so that he can show off to other farmers this human-sheep hybrid that he's come up with. <laughs> this this perfect sheep, yes. The most beautiful sheep that you've ever seen, who apparently in the making of material, they say, was a, a bit of a diva. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> apparently she was terrible, would not perform. So he's got this big event, um, and you've got the environmentalists who are trying to figure out what's going on on this laboratory, and they unleash this genetic abortion of a human-sheep hybrid and, and as a result create a were-sheep and, and this whole outbreak of evil flesh-eating sheep <laughs> on the rampage. And so it's sort of the characters trying to escape from all of this and, and, and sort it all out. Mm. So that's sort of the shape of the thing. In terms of character arcs, I suppose you've got Henry getting over his sheep phobia. Yes. Um, does he really? <laughs> I think he does. I think he, he sort does. of conquers it, I suppose. In terms of resolving his relationship with his brother, yeah, I'm not sure that works out quite so well. He doesn't kill him, does he? Yes, he does. Well, he, he attempts to. So <laughs> he attempts to kill his brother. His brother doesn't die. Mm. His brother goes towards the rabid sheep and says something like, turn me back into a, a sheep or something, and then they proceed to just eat him alive. <laughs> but first, uh, ripping off his, his genitals, which is a horrific shot. It is, and not what I was expecting at all. Yeah, so the brother gets his comeuppance, not at the hand of his younger brother, but at the hands of his misguided creation. Exactly. After he's had a, a horrible scene earlier on where, well, you don't actually see it, but it's heavily implied that he and his 
beautiful, perfect sheep that was a bit of a diva have had a rather <laughs> yes. romantic time in his office. Yeah, he's, he's just standing there in his underwear smoking a cigarette. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> as we know, uh, people always smoke cigarettes after having sex. They do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in terms of character arcs, that's sort of what you've got. Mm. There's the character of the uh, environmentalist experience. Mm-hmm. I had a few quandaries about her because it seemed to me that they were trying to have their cake and eat it with her because at the beginning when she's with Grant the other environmentalist Mm -hmm. who seems to be a bit of a clusterfuck to be honest he's supposed to be going in observing collecting evidence and getting out without being discovered but it's a total disaster he gets spotted by everybody falls over a fence and (laughs) they're all coming after them It's, it's a disaster so she seems to me as though she's quite level-headed and practical and dedicated to her cause and sensible. And yet at other times in the movie, they depict her pretty much as a space cadet who's really not in touch with what's happening at any given moment. So you have the scene where, and it is a great line, where <laughs> the Henry and experience and Tucker, mm. who's a farmhand and childhood friend of Henry's, they go into a farmhouse that they can see smoke coming out of and they they discover this kitchen that's wrecked. It's totally trashed and there's blood smeared up the walls and you can tell something terrible has happened here and the guys are really scared and worried about what's happened. And she says, oh my God, the feng shui in this room is terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is hilarious, but... <laughs> in terms of a consistent characterization for experience, she kind of seems to be whatever she needs to be in any given scene to get a joke, which seems a little unfair. I mean, at least, I mean, Henry is emasculated and neurotic and the butt of various jokes throughout the whole film, but it's consistent with her. It just seems to be that she's whatever the film needs her to be at any given time. Mm, I would, I would have to disagree because... I found the characters, all the characters. So we've got Tucker, who's the farmhand, who's played by uh, Tammy Davis, who is an institution in terms of young actors because he was in the TV show Outrageous Fortune, which is highly popular in New Zealand. Okay. Anyway, you've got Tucker, who is the grizzled, kind of no-nonsense, says it how it is, farmhand. Mm. And then you've got Experience, who is someone I have met many times in New Zealand. And growing growing up, going through university, there is always someone that is a bit of a hippie, that's vegan, that is an advocate for, you know, Greenpeace and environmental things, but doesn't really know what they're talking about. So they'll (laughs) spout off a string of words that they think is important (laughs) but they don't really know what they're talking about so i found her character highly hilarious (laughs) and then the other characters you've got uh henry who is who was just petrified and scared of life really Mm. but really isn't at the same time he's pretty level-headed most of the time Mm. and then you've got his brother who's just your typical um, buttoned up suited businessman that will do anything to make a lot of money. Mm. So I, I thought the characters were actually quite 
well defined and I, I'm glad that they weren't your stereotypical American horror characters. There wasn't the jock or the really scantily clad um hot girl or, you know, the the stoner. Like it was a good range of very almost cliche but New Zealand cliche characters oh, that okay. I think a lot of New Zealanders would would really identify with and have met all of those people in their life at some stage. Yeah. And Mrs. Mack as well, I think, is sort of a, a New Zealand institution too. I mean, certainly I recognise that um, uh, similarly no-nonsense, down-to-earth matriarch of the farm yes, who, who yes. will, without batting an eyelid, pull a rabbit to pieces <laughs> in the <Yes>. kitchen, <laughs> which... She does, and she comes up with some fantastic sayings. I think the first thing she says on screen is "bugger me days," which is <laughs> not a phrase I had ever heard before, and had me roaring with laughter. Right? Yes, yes, but, yes. There are there are definitely a lot of sayings in the movie that I wasn't even sure whether other people would understand because I I don't even know. <laughs> there are sayings I've heard all my life, but mm. I don't even know whether they're primarily from New Zealand or the from the UK or I don't know. So yeah. it'll be interesting <laughs> to hear them, hear your favourite quotes in the movies. Yeah. So, I mean, on the characters, I, I guess the one thing that I noted is that you could characterise them as being typical of the horror comedy of the early noughties. So I'm thinking about Shaun of the Dead. I'm thinking about Zombieland, where your male protagonist is a neurotic nerd mm. and your female protagonist is a, a what do they call them manic pixie dream girl but they are very specific new zealand versions of those so the manic pixie dream girl is actually <laughs> a bit of a ditzy mess and, and not all that much of a, a dream bit of a nightmare actually yeah i mean the other environmentalist as well grant is someone i have met Numerous times as well. Just someone that is very self-righteous and very steadfast in their views and not not even accepting any form of other viewpoint or discussion and, and will go and protest every weekend. And I don't know. It's I found the characters very identifiable. Yeah. And that's why they were so hilarious. What I like about experience, though, is is the times where she's surprised that any of her sort of new age claptrap actually works. Yes. Like she, she seems, it, it sort of hints at her being a little bit more with it than the the movie lets her be a lot of the time. So that's true. When Henry is trying to leave the, the aforementioned house after they've been attacked by herds of evil flesh eating sheep. Mm. And there's a, there's a herd of them that they're trying to get through uh, slowly and quietly without rousing their bloodlust. And experience is trying to use sort of mindfulness centering techniques to get him to calm down mm. so that he can get out of there. And she's describing, you know, you're a tree, feel your roots in the earth and draw your power from the earth. And and he says that it works. It actually helps him. And she says, really? <laughs> she's <laughs> yeah. surprised that her own bullshit actually does something so... I don't know. I sort of gave her more credit than the film did sometimes. I think that was. Mm, yeah, yeah. I thought I love that scene as well because um, so she's managed to calm Henry down 
And then uh, Tucker proceeds to just destroy all the calm by honking his horn and just, <laughs> and just shout, get in the fucking truck. <laughs> yeah, after he says another one of my favourite New Zealand lines, which is rattle your dags, Henry, <laughs> which I knew what a dag was because I remember looking it up when I was a child watching Neighbours because no, nobody ah. knew. Every time Jason Donovan called Mike a dag or whatever. <laughs> Everybody here didn't have any idea what he was talking about. But yes, we right, right. We found out. So it's, yeah, it's clumps of poo hanging off a sheep's bum. It is. <laughs> it surely is. <laughs> so rattling your dags is just, it's sort of shake a tail feather, but <laughs> revolting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, there was another... Um... Uh, reference to New Zealand farm humour at the end where Mrs. Mack offers some mountain oysters to the characters and everyone <laughs> says no apart from experience and then she finds out that mountain oysters are sheep testicles. Oh. Which is... <laughs> it's, it's It's been a joke since I was... I, I remember hearing that when I was really young and mm. I think farmers will continue to tell that joke to everyone. But, <laughs> yeah. So this movie was directed by Jonathan King, who I have only seen I think a couple of his other movies. They've all been very New Zealand-centric movies, though. So I think he did an adaptation of uh, Under the Mountain, which is also an adaptation of a very classic New Zealand uh, childhood book called Under the Mountain by Morris G. Ah. But yeah, I think he's he's doing okay. Like I mean, I really like the direction of this movie, but it was very you know reminiscent of movies like Shaun of the Dead, uh, which was obviously a homage to all the kind of eighties and seventies like zombie movies. Mm. So yeah, I think he 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 did it well. It was a nice tribute and also. He didn't make it too modern as well. They, they weren't, you know, talking on their smartphones all the time or mm. or trying to use technology. It was more of a just fight or flight kind of movie where they were just trying to survive by using the environment and the things around them, which was nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I think certainly Shaun of the Dead sets a pretty high bar for this kind of horror comedy and Edgar Wright's gone on to to develop that very musical sense of timing of construction of scenes and sequences up until Baby Driver where it's pushed to the nth degree and I don't see anything of that in Jonathan King's work it's much more as you say a homage to the 80s uh, schlock fest it reminds me very much of a, a young Peter Jackson and the only thing that disappoints me in terms of the direction is the action scenes. And I think it's probably just a side effect of the budget and the amount of time that they had, because the action scenes tend to fall back on just wobbling the camera around an awful lot. And sometimes in some of the encounters, you couldn't really tell what was going on. Mm. I, I would agree that the action scenes were a little bit uh, forgettable. Like there was, you could tell that the, I don't think they had a full wear sheep monster. I think they had parts of it. Mm. And so you could only ever see parts of it. You could just see the head or the hoof or, yeah, I think it purely is a budget 
issue. I couldn't find the budget of this movie, actually. I, I tried searching for it and I just couldn't find it. But I'm I'm assuming it was very low. Yeah. But I, I found like all the all the gore effects were amazing. Like all the intestines <laughs> and body parts and yeah. and flesh and and people with their with their faces half eaten off were impeccable in terms of um, <laughs> realism. Whereas some of the yeah, some of the were sheep uh, monster effects were they could have been a little bit better yeah a lot of them looked well they looked very wetter they looked very much like trolls and so it's, it was kind of difficult to see the sheep influence on the the wear sheep they just looked sort of like monsters sort of stereotypical monsters where i would have liked to have seen more of an ovine uh, influence on the designs um, coming through but uh, yes, I actually had to look up to see that it was ovine. So I thought it's bovine for cow. What is it for sheep? And it's ovine. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. I had to look that yeah. up too. <laughs> You've got the rabid sheep. So that was just pretty much a sheep with blood smeared on its mouth. Um, and then <laughs> you've got the the extreme wear sheep. So Grant turns into one and so does Angus, uh, Henry's brother. They turn into these monstrous, massive uh, wear sheep. Mm. And then you've got the kind of intermediate wear sheep as well. So I think uh, Tucker turns into one and it does resemble a bit of a werewolf, yeah. but a bit rounder i guess and i did i found that quite ovine s <laughs> there was the kind of big bulbous sheep eyes and round face <laughs> and um kind of ratty sheep teeth tufts of white hair coming through yeah yeah i thought i thought that the intermediate sheep monster was was actually quite cool yeah i mean one of the things they they mentioned was that one of the things that happens to angus is his top teeth start to fall out Mm. and because they point out that sheep don't actually have a top row of teeth (laughs) and although i commend them on their accuracy there it does raise a slight problem with the premise of bloodthirsty meat-eating sheep yeah <laughs> which is that they can't actually bite you by all accounts <laughs> okay if you want one to bite you you have to push your finger way back into their cheek teeth apparently oh. so i'm not quite sure how they would drag your intestines out with just a bottom row of teeth yeah unfortunately it's one of those movies <laughs> you really had to suspend your disbelief like you yeah. really really had to um and just run with it and yeah enjoy the ride <laughs> yeah exactly i think it's yeah it's, it's not trying to go for verisimilitude here <laughs> you're not supposed to look at this and think wow this could really happen <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about acting now um mm. most of the acting was pretty good mm. but there was some pretty sketchy acting as well um i found uh, experience who was played by danielle mason yeah some dodgy acting from her. Yes, and maybe that's behind the inconsistency that I was detecting because maybe the character was written a certain way and just came across as inconsistent. But yeah, whereas Nathan Meister is it? Is that how you yes. would say his name? Yeah, who I looked him up and it, he's got a very impressive roster of films like Avatar and, and The Hobbit and all this. But I mean, I think he's just sort of in the background in these films rather than yes. in a leading role. Um, I thought he was very good, actually, in terms of playing Henry. 
and getting the mode of performance right because that's the tricky thing in a in a horror comedy that's as as ludicrous as this it's setting your mode of performance so that it's the same tone as the rest of the movie so that it's slightly tongue in cheek but not too knowing but not too serious and uh, realistic and gritty because that would be wrong he he sort of gets the level just about right and the same uh, for Tammy Davis as well, I think. I think the two of them, they they pitch it exactly right. Whereas Danielle Mason maybe wasn't quite as sure of herself in this kind of context. I don't know. Mm. It could be just uh, due to just experience. Like I looked mm-hmm. up her her other films and she hasn't done a huge amount. So mm. yeah, maybe she's just a bit inexperienced. Yeah. I also found the actor that played Angus, uh, Henry's brother, played by Peter Feeney, mm. was really good. Yeah. Like, he was he was a, a douchebag. <laughs> I just wanted to punch him all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you didn't have any trouble hating him right from the very beginning where he's patronising those two farmhands that are trying to help him out with his presentation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you thought, what a dick. <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, he he does that really well. And yeah, he he has some ridiculous things to do that aren't very dignified (laughs) in the movie. Mm. But he seems pretty game and throws himself into them. Yeah. And he's very good even when he's covered in makeup as well. He's very good at keeping that character in and and trying to let sort of sheep influences come out. Yeah. But that ridiculous moment where he says bastard and and says bastard. (laughs) It's just... A terrible, terrible line and a really dumb gag, but he manages to pull it off yeah, reasonably yeah. well, I thought, or as well as could be. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that some of the acting doesn't help as well with... Um, some of it was very, very obviously ADR'd and not quite synced up to their lips. And so it just it made certain scenes a little stilted. Yeah, and apparently it was the wind that was the problem. It was filmed in Wairapa, which is uh, about an hour, two hours drive from Wellington, where I'm actually from. Ah. So uh, Wellington and and Wairapa as well uh, are known for being very windy all the time. So it's (laughs) it's no surprise that it was windy on location. Yeah, they mention it a couple of times in the commentary was, oh no, this is ADR because it was so windy that day. So it's... Yeah, sure, sure. Now it's time for Random Trivia. Yes, it's trivia time. Dan, what fascinating facts have you got for us on Black Sheep? Well, uh, there's a scene uh, towards the beginning. It's one of the first sheep deaths mm. or, or human deaths by sheep. <laughs> so it features Mike, the, uh, the other farmer, and he's in his house uh, and he's reading a book. And that book is called The Penguin History of New Zealand, which is a quite a famous book in New Zealand, but it is written by Dr. Michael King, who is the father of director Jonathan King. Ah. <laughs> But when, and why? Why would a farmer be reading it? Was he just brushing up on his <laughs> on the history of New Zealand? Well, I don't know. There are many long nights on farms, so <laughs> maybe he's new. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, so that was very interesting. Mm. Another bit of trivia: the scene with uh, on the Land Rover with Tucker uh, wrestling with that sheep. So that scene took 
several days to film, apparently. And the scene where the Land Rover goes over the cliff uh, was done in one take. Wow. Okay. (laughs) They probably couldn't (laughs) afford to do it multiple times. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I got a fun piece of trivia from the commentary, if you would like to hear that. Oh, of course. So one of my favourite lines, rattle your dags, Henry. Apparently, uh, the director was rather amused that when this was translated to French, it was translated as just courage, Henry. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. No translation for dangling bits of sheep poo. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) This is a concept that is entirely alien to the French, which Ah, is great for them. (laughs) It is. And so that's our random trivia. Yes. In terms of cinematography, I thought the film looked really good Mm. and it looked as though... I mean, one thing that I was particularly impressed with is it's quite difficult in a comedy film, which tends to be very bright, to get these dark moments in, in them as well. And I thought that they did a really good job in terms of creating these dark, scary places like inside barns. So mm. you would move from a bright daylight outside into these cool, dark spaces. And yeah, I thought that the the balance between the two worked really well. Yeah, I, I thought they used cinematography really well to establish the horror aspect of the movie because it was such a hilarious movie. I was laughing pretty much every second of the film. Mm. and But it's they did still manage to establish um, horror scenes and scenes that were a little bit terrifying that you weren't sure what to expect. Mm. And I thought that was... That was good. That was really good. Very good. Uh, Definitely the strong point of this film is the comedy. Just comedy all throughout (laughs) every scene. Um, (laughs) I was just completely on the floor (laughs) laughing. I I really love scenes where it's ridiculous and they point out how ridiculous it is or Mm. how terrifying (laughs) it is. It's it's just always great. (laughs) No, that the characters are kind of self-aware um, to some respect. Yeah, and it's got a wide variety of comedy as well. It's got visual gags, it's got verbal gags, it's got some verbal gags that are really very clever as well. I mean, just things like the brothers are confronting each other. What have you done? And the older brother says, you know, he's done this human-sheep hybrid uh, through genetic engineering. And Henry says, you fucker. And... <laughs> And Angus says, well, no, actually, I think they took a sample of semen. So Henry says, you wanker. <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's the kind of stuff that you uh, you have to sort of think about for a moment. But it's, yeah, it's, it's very good. I mean, it has to be said, some of the jokes are a bit dumb. I mean, but because the film builds up such a, a wellspring of rapport with the audience, mm. you kind of go with even the dumb gags, like the moment where a bottle of mint sauce is flicked on one of the <laughs> ware sheep and it, it's like it's holy water yep. on a vampire or oh, something. Oh, it's so good. I actually thought that was hilarious. Um, it is hilarious, but at the same um, I it's sort of grown laughing. It's sort of, oh, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but I still enjoyed it. Yeah. It has to be said. Yeah. I felt that some of the gags had really great setups as well. Like mm. there's uh, one scene where they're trying to escape from the sheep and they're in the rain, uh, Land Rover. Mm. And it's Henry, Tucker, 
and experience and Tucker is driving and then a sheep is also in the cabin with Tucker so Tucker's trying to wrestle with the sheep <laughs> and he manages to get away and they're both <laughs> they're just three of them on the back of this of this truck and experience just asks Tucker who's who's driving and it's just a shot <laughs> a shot of the sheep behind the wheel it's, it's the most it's the most hilarious thing I've ever seen on the screen it's it's, it's so good that's right, because the audience is one step ahead. So you're just waiting for this shot of, go on, show me a shot of the sheep behind the wheel. And you get it. And that's yeah. what I mean. There's such a, it sort of even sets up expectations and then gives the audience what it wants, which is, just, it's just lovely. It's a collaborative thing with the audience. It's yeah. not just surprising you. It's also bringing you along for the ride, mm. which is pretty fun. Mm. I think another thing that, that really adds to that ride is uh, the sound design, mm-hmm. uh, which was just, again, hilarious because it was so over the top because often you you would see you would see scenes where it's just 10 normal sheep just trotting down a hill but you will you hear this 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 rabid (laughs) snarling animals and it sounds like a stampede of a thousand sheep um going down the hill so i think where this film lacks sometimes with its um visual effects I feel like it's made up by sound design. Yeah, there are little things like you mentioned in that, the the scene in the Land Rover when uh, Tucker is fighting with the obviously puppet sheep. Mm. (laughs) Um, There's that lovely touch that he grabs hold of it and pushes it towards the steering wheel. And every time he he does so, it sets off the horn. So you've just got (laughs) this car horn going off constantly. (laughs) But yeah, everything is dialed up to 11 the sounds are so loud when they shouldn't be. Mm, yeah. Um, and the music as well. Mm. Yeah, the music is by Victoria Kelly, and it's definitely in on the gag. It's not one of those scores where it's playing at odds, like it's trying to play it straight and be serious horror. Mm. It's amped up to 11 and, and very jolly and almost Elfman-esque, I would say, in mm. terms of its... It shifts between this beautiful pastoral stuff at the beginning, which is lovely full orchestral music for the childhood days on the farm, and just goes into sort of sprightly, plucky, bouncy, ridiculous stuff for the the, uh, sheep rampage (laughs) that breaks out on the island shortly afterwards. I actually found some of the score was was quite reminiscent of some... I always say this, but um, like... Hitchcock films, so quite really. I mean, uh, maybe not Hitchcock, but but Bernard Herrmann scores where they're very relentless. They just keep going and going and going, and and it has yeah. this kind of charging effect to some of the scenes. I guess to to mm. reflect the charging sheep coming to eat your flesh, and <laughs> and yeah, I I don't know. I th- I thought some of the very more tense moments were very well orchestrated and score wise and although obviously very reminiscent of other horror scores like it wasn't i felt like it wasn't trying to be original it was just trying to be 
uh, a tribute to other horror movies and to mm. kind of establish that that sense of tension and horror i guess yeah but it's slightly arched though it is a little it's pushed slightly too far so yeah, that it's yeah. it's never deathly serious the music no it's, no that's true yeah it's pitched exactly right i think mm, mm. really complements it well yeah and in terms of some of the sound design i love how they used the same sounds for the gut-wrenching sheep eating flesh um to also the same sounds when uh, mrs mac is just preparing dinner <laughs> or, or um mike the farmer he put he just slops some beans and, and sausages into a into a pot and it sounds like guts <laughs> falling into a pot it's great yeah it's, it's yeah nothing about this film is subtle no <laughs> not at all the sound designer tim preble must have had a load of fun making horrific, squelchy gut <laughs> sounds. Which, uh, listeners out there, if you don't know, um, all guts in movies are just fruit and vegetables. <laughs> yeah. So you probably just had a table full of melons and <laughs> watermelon and, and pineapple and just like squelching it around with his, with his fists or whatever. Yeah, I hear lasagna is quite a good one as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I have found uh, that cabbage is a great vegetable for sound design. Really? Uh, it's really great. It sounds like crunching bones a lot of the time. Yeah. So it's uh, I've been using it a lot recently. So uh. <laughs> tips, to, tips to sound designers, get yourself a cabbage. <laughs> In terms of textual analysis and themes, I have to say I don't think this film's really going for any lofty (laughs) themes or social commentary. It's not doing something like, again, Shaun of the Dead is very um, sophisticated in terms of the social themes that it's that it's mocking. I mean, there are there's some nice circularity in the in the film. So, it, you know, in the way that Shaun of the Dead at the beginning, you're introduced to people sh- shuffling along, staring at their mobile phones, which is a comment on the zombies of today, how we're all enslaved mm, by social media. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, and then later on, the same people are doing the same things. Um, but this film does have some nice circular references. So you've got the thing that sort of terrifies Henry at the beginning is somebody dressed up like a sheep shambling around in a barn. And that's exactly what happens to him with his first encounter with Grant, the were-sheep, later on. And they even look sort of the same, you know, tall guy with a mm. sheep slapped on top of him. So, you know, there's some nice circularity in there. Um, some nice touches, but yeah, I don't, I don't get the sense that it was really going for anything grander than that. I mean, even the title, Black Sheep, one of the things that the, the director and Nathan Meister talk about on the commentary is, who is the black sheep? Because hmm. none of the the meat-eating sheep are black. <laughs> no. So who is the black sheep of the title? What's it referring to? Um, I noticed that Angus's plane has BLK on it as its tail number. I didn't know whether that was supposed to be a reference. Because the idea is that maybe he's the black sheep because when you first meet him as a child, he has a leg brace. Yes. And it made you look, it made you think as though the reason he's sort of resentful towards Henry is because he's got a good relationship with his dad and with 
Tucker and he's out doing the farming and everything's fine, whereas maybe he's stuck at home because he's not able-bodied and he's bitter and that's the whole springboard for all of his nefarious doings later on. Mm. But um, that's not really developed in any meaningful way. And then maybe Henry's the black sheep because he's sort of the estranged family member that's coming back and doesn't like sheep anymore. <laughs> I'd, yeah, I don't know. So, there, you know, there are sort of little touches around the edges, but I don't think it's doing anything grand necessarily. Mm. There's also the fact that there are environmentalist characters and they're, they've gone to the farm to investigate a possible uh, experimentation on, on animals. So there's that aspect of farming and, and, and modern science and, and yeah. where, is the, <laughs> where is the farm industry, agriculture in, industry going um, mm. with, with um, GM and that sort of thing. Yeah. But at the same time... It kind of pokes fun at that because the environmentalist characters are ridiculous <laughs> and over the top and have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> and 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 even at the end, they they even talk about, oh, maybe we should go organic, but then they kind of brush it off, saying, no, we should just do what we've always been doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course the environmentalists are responsible for the whole outbreak in the first case, which exactly uh, yeah. t- it actually is very similar to 28 Days Later because it's environmental activists that unleash the zombie infection in 28 Days Later, ah, yes. which was in, uh, released in 2002, so it came before this and, and may have been an influence. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, I guess it didn't really have any clear um, social commentary or or overarching uh, message. It was just kind of having a bit of a fun uh, romp with some killer sheep and, and making <laughs> a, just a, a genuinely funny movie, which mm. I I don't often see in terms in terms of black comedy and horror. I find it can be really hit and miss. Mm. Like if you go too far you can't take it seriously but if you go too serious then it becomes a terrible movie mm. <laughs> um so i don't know it, it, it can be a quite a quite a balance to make it funny but still enjoyable which which i think black sheep does yeah it does and i think it all ties back into what you said right at the very beginning which is that it's just self-deprecating it's, it's not taking any of these positions too seriously it's just exactly poking fun at all of them all of these people are equally ridiculous and all of these themes are equally ridiculous and we're all a little bit ridiculous <laughs> and yeah at the end of it they've got through it they've managed to cure all the wear sheep by um let me get this right drenching them yes it's called drenching apparently this thing where you just like jam a metal tube in someone's ah. mouth and squirt something <laughs> yes <laughs> for usually worming or something but right yeah they managed to cure them and uh yeah so everybody can go back to normal and just being sensible on the farm and mrs mac is probably shredding and cooking up another rabbit ready for tea <laughs> that's the sense <laughs> exactly. that i got from it Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Awards. 
Time now for the coveted Moobly Awards. This is where Dan and I nominate some of our favourite parts of the film in a number of ridiculous and pointless categories. <laughs> As always, we kick off with favourite quote. There's lots of lovely quotable dialogue in this movie. Dan, what was your particular favourite? Ah, oh, just so many, <laughs> so many favourite quotes. Um, <laughs> We've quoted a lot of them already. Yeah, there, there was one, uh, it's a bit of a long quote from experience. Um, so I really like this quote because I'm pretty sure I've heard someone say this exact thing to say or something along the lines. So she she's talking to Tucker, I think, um, after they've just been confronted by these killer sheep. And she says... <laughs> I would have thought that you, of all people, would appreciate the efforts to deconstruct the colonialist, paternalist, agrarian hierarchy that disenfranchises tangata whenua and erodes the natural resources of Aotearoa. In which Tucker replies, <laughs> learn all that at university, did you, before you dropped out? <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah, it's, it's very reminiscent of the bar scene in Goodwill Hunting where some students are talking about these things that they like and these things that they don't. And yes. Will points out that they only think that because they're in year one and they're being taught these texts and in year two they'll change their minds to this and then in year three they'll discover this and they're just spouting what they've been told. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And Tucker is much more down to earth and just gets on with things, which is, <laughs> which is great. Um, my favourite is just a little play on the, the wonderful bestiality that the movie revels in. Yes. <laughs> so, when, yes, when Henry discovers that his brother Angus has had a romantic time with the uber sheep, he says, you've got a fucked up idea of animal husbandry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so great. It's so great. It's a lovely play on words, which I really enjoyed. Mm. So... Most naughties moment. Is there something in here that's particularly naughties? I mean, I, I thought about the shaky cam, but I think that was a sort of necessity rather than anything else. But yeah, there's a lot of shaky cam action in this. Mm. I mean, the only naughties thing I found was it's a very naughties horror thing. So mm. uh, in the Tucker transformation scene so he's kind of flicking um, between being human and being uh, this were sheep and he uses that fast forwarded head shaking footage mm. kind of thing where he's oh, just shaking yeah, his, yeah, yeah. his head and then they fast forwarded <laughs> it so it's just a blur of his head kind of wobbling backwards and forwards it's very very prevalent in the in the noughties especially with all those ring uh, Japanese rip-off movies. Yeah, it's a, it's an effect I actually first remember seeing in Adrian Lyne's Jacob's Ladder with Tim Robbins, ah, which was yes. 1991. So, yeah, but quite popular in the noughties. Yes, yes. Uh, in terms of best hair or costume, I, <laughs> I didn't have anything in particular. I thought that certainly the environmentalists were, yeah, very typically uh, decked out in uh, <laughs> in terms of their costumes and hair. Mm. I would agree that environmentalists uh, kind of stood out only because Grant, I kind of used to dress like him. 
and really? <laughs> <laughs> so I used to have kind of long hair, and I had a goatee for a while, and used to have one of those side satchels with a whole bunch of patches sewn on it, and I didn't walk around in a waistcoat though, so uh, I feel like I, it wasn't as bad. But yeah, I thought he was hilarious because <laughs> I was just like, "Wow, that, that was me when I was in my twenties." <laughs> favorite scene? Well, we've already talked about it, but my favorite scene is the Land Rover chase. Uh, well, it's not a chase, really, but it's just such a fantastic freewheeling、yes. action scene with so many hilarious things <laughs> happening in it. I mean, I think just the the combination of Tucker fighting with this obviously fake sheep in the driver's seat, whilst Henry's on the flatbed in the back trying to get a chainsaw working, he <laughs> goes through this whole sequence of "Have you turned it on?" Which again comes from experience, which is very practical. But yes, he turns it on and rolls his eyes, and then Tucker says, "Have you primed it?" And then finally, after all of this, when he pulls the ripcord and starts it. It starts up with such force that he just hurls it over the side. So this is totally pointless. All this build-up, and it was a complete waste of time.、Mm. And then the the you know the the honking of the horn and the sheep driving, and it's it's just non-stop laughs. That、mm. sequence, it's great.、Mm. I I also liked it because <laughs> a chainsaw was such a cliche in zombie movies. There's always a、yeah. chainsaw, and so having the chainsaw <laughs> and then for it to not even be Usable because he flings it over the side. <laughs> It's so hilarious. <laughs> What about you? What was your favorite scene? Oh, there was just so many favorite scenes. But I really did like the big sheep attack scene. So、um, <laughs> this is at the the sheep conference, I guess you would call it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. <laughs> so, so Angus is addressing a a, a, a collection of of sheep moguls <laughs>、um, <laughs> on on this paddock, and then a a big herd of sheep proceeds to、um, rampage and attack them, but. It's it's hilarious to me because it's just a normal herd of sheep just trotting through a field with people, <laughs> but the people are you know acting hysterically like they're gonna they're being attacked by these by these sheep, and then it has all these close ups of puppet sheep、uh, ravaging these people, ripping their throats out <laughs> and ripping their faces off, and it's just so hilarious because the the wide shots are just just normal sheep just wandering in this paddock. <laughs> Yeah, it sort of revels in its lack of convincing <laughs> effects, doesn't exactly, it? It's quite fun. Exactly, I love it. Yeah. So most cliched moment, horror moment, I guess.、Um, and there was my old favorite again, the old transformation scene. Let's stand and watch my brother turn into a <laughs> were sheep. Ah,、oh, yes. For a very long time and not do anything. <laughs> yes. Including even. An American werewolf homage, which they admit was an American werewolf homage, where the brother's head turns to the side and the snout pushes、mm. out painfully and jerkily. Yeah, so that I thought was a cliche. Yeah, 
My most cliche kind of horror moment was when they're in the lab and you've got the scientist lady and her henchman and they're just <laughs> they're just waving around these giant needles because <laughs> all needles in horror movies have to be giant, <laughs> the biggest needle possible. Um, I'm full of green liquid. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I love it how they always have to squirt some stuff out the top because that's, that's what happens in movies. <laughs> and they always have to tap it as well with their finger. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, I mean, I imagine all hospitals and doctors' floors just being completely drenched in all of this liquid that they've been squirting out from needles (laughs) (laughs) okay um favorite effect i kind of liked the the intermediate kind of sheep uh wear sheep so yeah i mentioned before with big round heads and the Mm. bulbous eyes and and the sheep teeth i kind of i kind of liked it even though you could tell it was obviously a big head mask thing over a, a dude uh, yeah, I thought, I thought it was pretty effective. Yeah, that it took sort of five people to coordinate the movement on those things, and they got some really good sort of expressive movements sometimes mm. in the in the particularly in the kitchen scene at the end where he's facing down. Is is it his brother or is it Grant? I can't um, remember who, I which one it, it is. Oh, I think it was Grant. I think it's Grant. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Grant. Yeah, so he's he's the one that gets the dose of mint sauce. Yeah, those are the best effects. Whereas the puppets, let's be honest, they're not very good. <laughs> but I think they know that they're not very good, so. It's kind of hilarious <laughs> yeah. at the same time. Yeah, I think they do, but they still have fun with them and they get some funny expressions out of them, yes. including in, in what I thought was my funniest scene, but I'll come back to that. <laughs> Favourite sound effect? Oh, well, for me, actually, I did write down Mrs. Mac's rabbit sounds because... <laughs> It's just ridiculous. I can't imagine. It's almost like she's got a microphone up to it in an amplifier or something. It's so loud, her yeah. kitchen preparations. <laughs> so, yeah, I, lo- I love that. I really enjoyed it. It's so watery and gungy and, and sticky and horrible. Oh, it's horrible to listen to um, <laughs> in all the best ways. Uh, my favourite sound effect was... Again, uh, the wear sheep. So they're just normal sheep <laughs> just trotting through a field and they sound like the most horrific animal alive. Uh, so great, snarly, rabid, disgusting <laughs> teeth, jaw sounds. It's amazing. Yeah, they didn't underplay it at all, did they? Yeah. I, I also love it how they kind of mix it in with just some innocent bar sounds as well so <laughs> it just it's just such a um a juxtaposition of like normally quite innocuous sounds but as well as as terrifying sounds yeah it's like little quizzical moments and so on <laughs> <laughs> so fake blood i would say this was our highest rated fake blood movie like i i love the blood in it it's just so splattery but not not CGI, it's all practical. Mm. Uh, it's nice kind of glistening, deep red colour. Uh, I thought uh, five stars, I would say. Yeah, I would say so. It's the best we've had so far because we keep coming up against movies where there just isn't any blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or what little there is is like not very good, but this is the good stuff. New Zealand knows its blood. Yes. I, w- I, w- I would also like to mention uh, the guts. I love the guts how 
the sheep would pull skin and and guts from people, and it was this really stretchy, <laughs> elastic kind of consistency, which is I I I love that. It's very reminiscent of eighties uh, splatter horror films where mm. skin is just so stretchy. <laughs> yeah, I th- I'm not sure what it is, whether it's um, latex or whether it's. Uh, sausage skins I know they use oh. quite often these types of effects but yeah it looks disgusting oh, whatever it's, it is it's gross <laughs> very gross funniest scene uh, whether intended or not intended uh, I think it's got to be all intentional in this hasn't it really yeah I think so too out of all of the scenes <laughs> which would you say is the funniest I mean Every scene is hilarious, but there's in the big sheep attack scene again, there's this one guy, he's had his has had his leg bitten right off, and he's trying to <laughs> escape this sheep, and he throws like whatever he can find, and that happens to be his severed leg. <laughs> which <laughs> it's just so horrifying that that the only way to defend himself is by throwing his own severed leg. <laughs> Yeah, quite ironic to throw a leg at a lamb. <laughs> yeah, apparently as well, that, that guy is, is an actual uh, amputee, and so he doesn't actually have a leg. So No, I know, and I always feel of two minds about that. Whenever they use amputees in films for special effects where people lose limbs, I think, isn't that just a bit sort of in bad taste? How do they feel Aww. about that? But. Yeah, they obviously they're stunt guys that specialize in this stuff, mm. so maybe they're okay with it. Yeah, I, I would say they're I, okay with it. I hope so. At least they get typecast <laughs> as the guy that always loses his leg. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess so. Uh, for me, it has to be the scene where Henry is trying to make his way through a herd of sheep surreptitiously by coating himself in the seat covers, sheepskin seat covers from a car, which apparently are de rigueur in New Zealand. You can find these everywhere. Mm. And as he's midway through on all fours, he gets the amorous attention of one of the other sheep, which mounts him. Yes. He, he looks in between his arms and can see some very large testicles <laughs> slapping around yeah. and prods them with a sharp implement. I think his Golden Shears Award uh, from when he was a child. Yes. And there is a fantastic expression from the puppet sheep in reaction to getting stabbed in these these delicate parts. And that did make me roar with laughter. Although it has to be said, I was somewhat confused that these mutant sheep have testicles because aren't sheep girls? <laughs> All of them? Don't you yeah. have to be a ram to be a boy? So I was a little bit confused, but maybe it's all the genetics. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> it's, yeah, weird things are happening on this farm. So that concludes the Moobly Awards. Woo! Welcome back, and it's that time for the final verdict. So, should this film be thrown in a hole of discarded sheep fetuses, or should it be released from the paddocks to be enjoyed by all? 
Conrad, <laughs> you've never seen this film before. What's your verdict? Well, I have to say, I had some reservations about the film. I think if you compare it to something like Shaun of the Dead, which was a few years before, I don't think it's nearly as inventive or as sophisticated visually or thematically. And I think that there are quite a few things that you could say it's derivative of. I mean, we've mentioned 28 Days Later. We've mentioned um, Shaun of the Dead. Obviously, there's Dog Soldiers is in there as well. If I don't know if you've seen that. There are quite a few things. And even the, the rape scene <laughs> where Henry is mounted by a sheep is reminiscent of something that happens in the Zucker Brothers movie Top Secret from the 80s. I don't know if you've seen that one. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen that. It's very funny. There is a moment where two people try to break into a Nazi camp disguised as a cow. Unfortunately, a bull finds them. So the guy oh. that's at the back has an unpleasant time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... <clears throat> so it's sort of a derivative and also, you know, there are things in it that I thought were a little bit dumb, like the bastard is a bit <laughs> <laughs> silly, and the, the dog barring right at the very end. Yes. <laughs> it's the sort of comedy where it throws everything up at the wall and just sees, sees what sticks. But the thing is that it pretty much all does stick. And that's the thing. I had such a good time watching it. And it generates such a strong sense of goodwill from the audience because it really does bring you along for the ride and poke fun at everybody and everything. And yet at the same time, it's technically, given the restrictions they're working under, uh, so accomplished. I mean, the, the effects are good, even if in, in cases where they are silly. The cinematography is beautiful. The... The acting is pretty good, except for a few yes. yeah, <laughs> moments. But um, and and it does an awful lot with not much, and and manages to look pretty polished at the same time. So, I think it's bottom line is it's just a rip roaring good time, and I would recommend anybody watch it. To be honest, because if you want ninety minutes of just ridiculous fun, I think this is what you should drop into your DVD player or your streaming service mm, <laughs> queue. <laughs> yes, I, I would agree a hundred percent. It's it's just a fun rollicking ride. And you just have to suspend all your disbelief and mm. just enjoy the ridiculousness. And there are so many good lines. And it does, writing-wise, it's so well-written uh, with the jokes and the gags and the setups. Uh, I love it. Yeah, Watching it a second time, I hadn't seen it for a few years, and it's just as good as how I remembered it. And, yeah, there are a few production um, aspects of it that could have been better, um, but overall I think it's just an amazingly hilarious film that <laughs> everyone should watch straight away, especially fans of, of horror, especially uh, the splattery, gory 80s horror. It's It just mm. nails it, like, perfectly. <laughs> yeah, it really does. So... I think in this case, we're going to drench it against worms and set it free. <laughs> Off you go. Join your flock of merry sheep. Bye for now. <laughs> so the question now is, what will we be taking a look at next episode? <laughs> 
So next time we'll be watching a psychological thriller that's actually a remake of a European film and the remake is directed by the same director, so it's a little bit unusual. Ooh. It's the 1993 thriller... The Vanishing. Ah, I haven't seen that. Mm. Or the original. <laughs> <laughs> no, it stars Jeff Bridges, Kiefer Sutherland, Nancy Travis, and was the first screen appearance of one Sandra Bullock. So, wow. yes, okay. a fascinating film to look back on and one that people have either maligned and forgotten or have never heard of. So oh. I think we'll have a lot of fun looking at this dark thriller. Ah, can't wait. Yes, and if anyone listening out there has ideas for what film we could look at uh, in a future episode, please let us know and comment on what we've said today and what you think of Black Sheep. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to follow us, we're on Instagram and Twitter, all under the same handle, which is Movie Oubliette. And if you're not sure how to spell Oubliette, it is... Ah, sorry, just... Having a cup of tea and an Anzac biscuit. What was that? And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're using to consume us because we love to hear from you. Mm, always good to hear from our beloved fans. Indeed. Yes. And we might even say your name on a podcast. We might even read you out. You never know. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks for everyone for joining us yet again for Movie Oubliette. I'm Conrad. And I'm Dan. Goodbye for now. Ciao, 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 ciao. We review the films others tend to forget. Come with us and don't come up the Movie Oubliette. 